Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Is that where you're from? Yeah, yeah. I, I grew up just outside of Chicago in Hammond, Indiana, which is okay, um, t- twenty five miles away. Yeah, and uh, is that by Gary? Yeah, right next to Hammond is Hammond is so it's in between. It's in between. Yeah, it's in between yeah. Gary and Chicago. Yeah, um, both both cities are on the lake. Um, and uh, in fact, I have a sh- an exhibit opening in Miller Beach, which oh. is the beach part of Gary. Good day, good people. My name is Brad King, and you are listening to the Downtown Riders Jam podcast. This is Jam Sessions. As you know, we are part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. If you did not know, we are part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. We are coming to you from deep inside the Jam Bunker. Late fall, early winter. It's hard to tell. Like here in Pittsburgh, like one week it's winter, one week it's fall. Um, But it is lovely. We were off last week. Lots of personal things happening that needed to be dealt with, and I kept trying to get back to this, but sometimes that just doesn't happen. Uh, but we're happy to be back today. I'm super excited. Like, I did this interview, and I know, right, I just said like three things. People tell me all the time, well, you you think everybody's delightful. Like, everybody you talk to, you tell them they're delightful. And I got to be honest with you, like, everybody I talk to is pretty goddamn delightful. One of the nice things about doing this show is I get to choose the people that I want to talk to. I also think most people tend to be pretty delightful when you are talking with them. Particularly writers, artists, people that make stuff. In my life, I found that to be, I don't know if the norm, but it is definitely more often than not. And today is zero exception. David Lee Sisko's on the program. And he's an acclaimed graphic artist and designer, which is a little bit off what we normally do. But uh, the stuff he works on is so fucking fantastic that I was like, well, yeah, we're doing this. Um, So he does this distinctive artwork and stained glass and mosaics uh, a lot around Chicago. Um, And in 2012, he worked on the displays at the White House. And I'm telling you, if I went through his whole bio, we would be here for like five hours. Um, And you can head over to the Riders Jam and you can read that whole thing. But he does these really interesting, um, bold graphics and um, playful kinds of patterns with his stuff, celebrating the diversity and richness of life. Like that really is at the end of the day what it comes down to. We had this long conversation where we actually know a lot of the same people, which is strange because uh, I don't work in theater. I don't typically work in design, but it's just one of those things where like when you hang out with weird fucking people, you tend to have the same set of weirdo friends that everybody else has. And it's a reminder of how small the world is and why it's important to be kind and nice and all of that kind of stuff. And if you just ask a couple questions, you will suddenly find More times than not, you have connections you didn't even know. And so that's what a lot of this interview is today. Uh, Not going to lie. We get into the book um, and his work. 
because it's really important. And the book we're talking about today is LGBTQ icons. Um, he illustrated, uh, Owen, uh, Keenan did the writing and it's part of this group of icons that he has worked on. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how they chose the people, um, what they're doing with the series and all that kind of stuff, because it's just, and I honestly, it's beautiful and I cannot wait to get the hard copy because it's one of those like coffee table kind of books that like I will leave out because it's its own design, right? It's its own sort of um, piece that is not only a book, but it is, it is uh, an artifact that people will pick up. So I'm excited for you guys to have this one because he's delightful. We had we were giggling the whole time, but also talking about some important uh, things about re not only representation, which is you know LGBTQ plus. Um, that book is sort of like that, but he's done these other things, um, and there's representation in those as well, like with science, and he talks about some of the other projects that he's working on, but also just the history of where we are. History is under assault in this country, right? Like there are people that don't want you to know the things that happened in the past. And so these kinds of books I find to be subversive in their own sort of punk rock way because they're these beautiful pieces of art that also then go into history, right? So you're going to learn a thing accidentally. So before we get to all of that, let me just tell you, uh, we do three shows here. You're listening to Jam Sessions today. We also have the After Party, which is a Q&A. And the Jam, which is our hour-long um, interview program. All of that, you don't have to know any of that. They're all on this channel. So wherever you're listening, get subscribed right now. You won't miss anything we're doing. Uh, over at the website, thewritersjam.com, we have all kinds of interesting stuff, newsletter, book recommendation, things like that. You can also support all the programs on the Solid Listen Network through Patreon. For just a couple bucks a month, you get commercial-free episodes. You get things before anybody else. There's a shitload of bonus content. Uh, Molly and Nicole just do so much work on this program, and it's the nicest corner of the internet. So it's worth your time and energy and effort. And as always, if you like what you hear, leave us a review. Apple Podcasts is a great place to do it. Or head over to the Facebook page at The Writer's Jam, and you can leave us a review there. But as always, uh, I appreciate you stopping by this goofy-ass corner of the internet that we've put together. Your time is valuable, and I hope that you find this entertaining. And I hope that you will sit back and enjoy my conversation with David Lee Sisko. So I lived in Indianapolis before I moved out here. Uh, when were you there? I was I was in Indianapolis from 2009 to 2017. Okay, that's a lot. Of, it's a lot of time. It's a lot. It's actually the longest place okay. I've ever lived outside of my like where I grew up. Okay. Uh, um, and my lifting partner is from Gary, so I, that's why I, knew, I was like, oh yeah, no, I know right where that is on the. I, when you drive up to Chicago, you go through there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for a long time, I um, participated with the Phoenix Theater in Indianapolis. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Brian. Uh, uh, Brian Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, he passed away. Yeah, like right after they opened the new a, a show. So he he um he built a new theater. Yeah, it was right after that, and he get, right just a couple years after that. So so he built a new theater, and then the board of directors kicked him out. Yep, 
That was right around the time I left. Okay, which is horrible. And um, and then he started a new theater, the Fonseca Theater. Yep. And then he wrote me on uh, the first summer of COVID. He wrote me on uh, uh, July fourth, saying that he was written up in the in the New York Times that he was found a, a way to do theater safely in COVID. And then they opened the show. Everyone in the company got COVID. He got it and um, he had to be intubated and uh, he came out of it and then he got sick again and sat, sadly he died. Oh, it was from COVID. I didn't realize it was COVID. from COVID. Yeah, yeah. Because um, my, uh, my ex-wife did a lot of stuff in the theater community down there. Okay. And so I knew that whole group just from yeah. that world. Yeah, so I, I designed sets for them from- No like shit. The, yeah, from the 19, mid 1980s into the, into the late 90s. And then, uh, then, I, then I, 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 didn't, I didn't work there anymore. But I, I, would, I would make a design and show it to Brian. And then he had a wonderful team that would build it. And then I would paint it. And then I'd come back to Chicago. Oh, that's crazy. I, yeah. Um, I got married in the Indie Fringe Theater. Oh, cool. Yeah, that was, we knew uh, Pauline. So like, okay. it's it's weird because Indianapolis is, um, it has this really robust and big independent theater scene. It, it, it does, it does, it does, yeah, yeah. It's one of those things, that, and I started a writing collective there and we ended up having about 450 people in it. And I was also on the Indiana Writers Center board of directors for a while. And I've told people like, it was, I'm from the Midwest. It was unexpected when I got there. Yeah, yeah. All of the creative arts that were happening there. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I was I was working in storefront theaters in Chicago, and um, a guy who's an art director moved to Indianapolis, and then he asked me to work on the logo for the Phoenix Theater. And then they then when he he told them that I also designed sets. They said, he can design anything he wants. And so then they came up to see, there was a play we were uh, working on, which was called The Good Times Are Killing Me by Linda Berry, which premiered in Chicago and won a ton of awards. And then um, there was an offer to do it in New York and the people in New York said, we'll do it, but it's as if the Chicago production never happened. Wow. So we were ghosted, <laughs> literally. <laughs> And uh, we won all the all the Jeff awards. I, we won for set design, best writing, best acting. It won every award possible. And then, um, and so so everyone was was heartbroken because because we were the first ones to do it. Yeah. And uh, anyway, anyway, and so so he came up and saw that. And then I I did I must have done a dozen plays there over the over the years. Wow. Sometimes two or three a season. Um, but, uh, anyway, it's, uh, it, it is one of those things when I'm, I've lived in Austin in the nineties. Um, and then I went back, uh, in the early aughts and I told people like it was at the time, it yeah. was a place where it was affordable enough that you could be an artist and yeah. you weren't working other, like nobody was like, yeah. well, what do you really do? Right. Like yeah, you yeah. could make enough money to live in Indianapolis in the modern world, I was like, oh, like in the, the today times, I'm like, it's that kind of place. And you're, yeah. you know, a stone's throw from Chicago. Like you can get right. to New York, like you can get yeah. to major places pretty, yeah, pretty easily. 
Yeah. Um, we used to have writers come down and do readings. Like we'd have whole big nights where I'd bring Chicago writers down. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So like, it was, it's so funny. Like the, uh, I did not know this is where this conversation would go, but I'm also not entirely shocked just because this world is so small, like yeah. the creative world yeah. of people that do things. You're like, you do it long enough and you're like, Oh, you were yeah. two steps away from yeah, yeah. whatever. So, so um, I'm interested. Remember, oh, go ahead. Do, do you remember the movie Breaking Away? Bicycle by movie? Steve, by Steve Tesich. Yeah, was that a bicycle um, movie? Counties and college kids and the little the little Indy 500 about a bike race. Yeah, I mean, the bike race movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so he, so Steve Tesich was Yugoslavian, but grew up in East Chicago, Indiana, which is where I'm right next to. And then he wrote a play um, called Square One. It, it, it was on Broadway for a minute. And then Brian decided to, to do the first Midwest production of it. Oh. So, so, so I designed the set for that and then um, went to the big writer's supper with like Kurt Vonnegut Jr. And, oh, and, and I, I was, I sat next to Steve Tessich, who sadly also is gone now. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, it was like Indianapolis was just a really fun place to work, and it was like, and they had they had a great team of people, mm-hmm. and it was like, you know, it, like I loved it. It was it was just lots of fun, and I really got to explore set design and sort of pretend to be an architect and design these big. <laughs> these big you know, sets that they would build for me that I would never get to do in Chicago because in Chicago, yeah. it was much more complicated. And, and in Indianapolis, they were just so hungry to take risks. It was, it was, it was great. It was very freeing. It is, you know, I tried not to like, I've lived in San Francisco. I've like, I've lived in big places. Yeah. I've lived in small places. So yeah. I don't sort of, I don't tear them, but like what you said is a hundred percent true. Like we could start that writing collective and yeah. we did, weekly events we did monthly events we published literary magazines we published books and you could be experimental and like the arts council was really supportive of what we did like it was it was small enough that you could if you had an idea getting momentum to do that idea wasn't nearly as hard as if you lived in like san francisco where you just that there's so many people it's hard to get to know personally the people you need to move a needle right exactly exactly Uh, and it's re- that's really it's fascinating. That's really fascinating. So I'm also interested in you because now into this conversation, like you seem to have like you do theater, you do design, obviously you do illustrations. Like what's your like, what's your art? Like, what's the thing for you? Or is it all of it? It's just creativity. It's just creativity. Yeah, <laughs> it's I was it's, beginning to get that from the yeah, conversation. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you just do shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I and and um. I'm very fortunate that I, I can do a lot of things. Um, so I grew up in Northwest Indiana um, where everyone in my family worked in the steel mills, mm-hmm. um, very Eastern European roots. Um, and, uh, and then I went off to art school in Cleveland, Ohio. And Which one? Uh, the Cleveland Institute of Art. Okay. Yeah. And at the time uh, it was a five-year school. Um, and so uh the dream was just to, to like, like there was no way to, there was no reasons, there was no reason to stay in Cleveland because it was so conservative. And it was, so, so I went, I graduated from high school in 1975. 
So this is like the, 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 the dark days of the recession. Yeah. And um, just like no, no, no joy and creativity at all. No, in um, Northern Ohio in that time was not, I'm yeah, from Ohio. Like Northern Ohio was that was not a good time for Yeah, it, it was it was it was very bleak. Yeah. Um but uh I had a great time in Cleveland and um that was when they they had the program uh work study. Yeah. Um so 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 people could hire you at a reduced rate and the school would pick up would sort of pay the other yeah. So I wound up working at the art museum all five years um, in the bookstore, which was great because I love I love looking at books. And, uh, <laughs> and those books are beautiful in the yeah, and, and our yeah. art books were just just fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then I wound up teaching, and then I, I, I came back to um, Hammond, lived with in my parents' basement, had had one job that ended, had another job, I got let go, which was actually was a blessing because um, I was working in this not that great of a design studio that just did, they just pushed stuff out, but it was a way to, to learn how to work quickly and, and how to talk about sure. your, your ideas to, to a client. And, um, but I really wanted to be freelance, um, working as an illustrator, working as anything. And so um, I just like called everybody up to Chicago Tribune, Chicago Magazine. My dream was to, to get projects with Marshall Fields, which at the time was the department store yeah. of, you know, it, it was that it was phenomenal, and uh, um, just sort of persistence of going there once a week, trying to get in. Eventually, uh, this one guy took a chance on me, and then that led to working for Bloomingdale's in New York, or working for Macy's, doing ads, and but they were art, arty ads; they were not like typical yeah. ads. And and then I had friends in the theater community and the opera community, so I would design opera productions on a shoestring budget. And, and then I started, then I wanted to make art that was more and more meaningful, meaning, yeah. meaningfulness. Cause usually I was the guy, I had the dream job. I was doing all the happy stuff, like celebrate this, celebrate that, you know, and it was a lot of fun, but I wanted to show that I had depth. Yeah. And can um, I ask, so were you about 30 when that happened? Uh, I was like 25, 28. Oh, so that was young. Like yeah, that, was, yeah. that happened early on. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so I, I did this uh, series of black and white saints, which were very gritty, and and uh, they they're they're really cool, but they they kind of opened another door, and uh, and everyone kept thinking that these because they had thick black lines, the yeah. images that they would make stained glass windows, which led to designing stained glass windows in African American Catholic churches, um, who also were open to somebody with new ideas. Yeah, and um, that led to designing mosaics, and I just kind of I just kind of followed the path where yeah. it took me, and somehow called the right people who could help make these things. And um, and the, the way that this book came out was um, the publisher was someone I had worked with 35 years ago at Marshall Fields, who was an art director. Yeah, that feels right. Yeah, and <laughs> and then um, he called me a year ago in uh, in March saying. Uh, I'm retired. My wife and I publish art books. We thought of you. Would you like to do something? And I said, I've got so much to show you. And so I drove over there with a mask on and um, said, you know, I do these series of, of people, images of people. And so the original book that he signed on for was Science People. Um, uh -huh. And so I, so I did 50 images of scientists from around the world. 
And um, at the same time, I was talking to the guy who wrote the LGBTQ book, um, Owen Keenan, who worked at the, um, just down the street from me is this amazing bookstore called uh, Unabridged Books. And he's sort of the unofficial, unofficial official his, historian of, of gay, lesbian, bi, trans history in Chicago. And, um, you know, it's the height of the pandemic. We're both wearing masks. And I said, you know, we should work on a, on a, on a book about famous people who might be gay or just a, a, as a fun book that would be inspirational sure. for, for kids and not heavy, heavily handed in its politics. Yeah. And um, then he said, I bet there's somebody who might like be interested in that. So he called um, a friend of his, uh, Victor Salvo, who, who developed this amazing outdoor museum called um, the Legacy Project. And so it, it, they picked 40, now all, all these people have passed away who are gay people or lesbians who, who contributed to the world, but in their histories, the fact that they were gay or lesbian was always left out. Sure. <laughs> um, and so uh, they got a grant to develop educational materials for Chicago public schools to teach gay history in the schools, wow. which now <laughs> yeah. seems really controversial yeah. <laughs> as the world changed. Yeah. Um, only to some people. Only to some people, right. Yeah. <laughs> and so I started working on that. On, on that and then uh, my partner and I were invited to house sit uh, in this beautiful home on a, on, a, on a hill overlooking a lake in Douglas, Michigan. And I sent the lady whose house, while she was in California, I said, this is what I'm doing in your house. And I've sent her these images I was working on. <laughs> she sent it to someone else who then sent it to um, the History Museum of Saugatuck Douglas. So Saugatuck Douglas is about um, an hour and 45 minute drive from Chicago, but it's always been a, a home of of the arts and very liberal and open and a place where lots of gay and lesbian people would have their summer houses. And also it's the, there's a school called Oxbow, which is the summer school of the art Institute. Mm -hmm. So it has this long history of just being this bed of creativity. Yeah. And um, they were having an exhibit called um, century of progress, 100 years of for gay people, LGBTQ people, um, and and how Saugatuck was this open place where people felt comfortable. And uh, the publisher, it opened a year ago, this past weekend, the publisher who also has a house in, in, in that area came to the opening and said, this is the first book. We're gonna <laughs> put science on hold. I think this should be yeah. our first publication with you because I think the time is right for it. And so at first I was like, are you kidding me? I, I spent the whole summer drawing 50 scientists. Come on. He goes, don't worry. We will do that. We will do that. He goes, yeah. go home because the exhibit had 24 people in it. He goes, I want to round it out to 50 people. Yeah. That's a publisher right there. That needs, yeah. there needs to be a zero at the end of the number. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and he liked Owen's writing, Owen Keenan's writing. So um, Owen came part of the, the project. And then we, um, we would just suggest to each other names of people that were important to us were people that we thought young people should know about. Yeah. The, the, the weird thing about living a, a, a marvelous big life, and as you get older and older, references are always changing. 
And what was important in the 1960s when I was a kid is not important now. Yeah. Or the people who were celebrated are not as celebrated. Right. And so as we went through this list, there are lots of people that I thought, people don't know who these people are, but their lives are important. And so why not um, reintroduce them to a, to a, to sure. a new audience? So and, I want to I jump in right there. Yeah. We got to take a real quick break. And then we're going to come back and I want to get into some of the, the people that you chose, sure. sort of the process that you went through, because I do think that's important. So we'll be right back. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. All right. So as always, um, my favorite part of the conversation, nobody will hear. So when we left, um, you were talking about the like the process of how you go, because 50 is like not a whole lot of people when you're talking right. about the history of a group of people. So what was the process that you guys went through? So we had we had a list of uh, of, of names that we had done originally. Um, and then we just wanted to make the, the, the book as um, inclusive as possible. So we would throw out famous names that we thought of, and then it would get, it would get whittled down to, well, maybe we'll leave out some super famous people to, to, to open the door for people that sure. you may not know about. So uh, we let go of like Tennessee Williams and Truman Capote and Andy Warhol. Um, but Who all have embraced... museums for themselves. Pardon? <laughs> Who all have museums for themselves already. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So... <laughs> Um, like, uh, it's, a, so I was watching television and watching that show Pose, which was about the voguing community and about oh, mostly yeah. Hispanic and, and people of color and some trans people, like a margin of society when it was happening in, at that, at that era, in the, in the height of AIDS and in the eighties going into the nineties. And, and I thought, this is marvelous to, to see this story because I had seen the movie Paris is Burning, but um, that was just a, like dipping your toe in the water. But to see a, a dramatization series that had several seasons was incredibly terrific. Yeah. And so I thought, um, well, who started voguing? So I, I, I looked up um, and found a guy named Willie Ninja was sort of the, the godfather of, of, of voguing and, and dressing That's up. That's a great name, first of all. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so I said, you know, I really think he, I think this, he has to be there because because of that television show, sure. there's, there's been a new interest in it. Like it has a new life 
and people want to know more about it. So, um, well, and people my age, right? Like I remember the controversy when Madonna did the whole thing around that. And it was right. was like, that was one of the like early Madonna appropriation things. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's enough that like, I think if you're a Gen X, you're like, oh yeah, I actually know. Yeah. Like it's not that unfamiliar to me. Right. So there's already an entryway into like, oh, this is the person who we should actually know about. Yeah, and, and then there, there is um, a performance artist named Lee Bowery that not everybody knows, Yeah, um, who was kind of a club kid who would transform himself into these amazing creations and deities and strange, uber strange kind of costuming and makeup. Uh, that again is somebody that younger people are looking at. Um, and so, but to include um, many of these people, but to include them with the likes of like Leonard Bernstein and um, uh, like Tchaikovsky and Gertrude Stein, but then to dig a little deeper and, 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 and there was a, a woman who um, in, in like the 1920s, uh, her name was Radcliffe Hall, uh, basically what was a lesbian, um, had, had family money, um, was kind of a no-nonsense individual dressed in men's clothes, lived with her partner. They showed dachshunds in, in, in the dog, dog shows in London. And she wrote the first, les- what is considered to be the first lesbian novel, The Well of Loneliness, which I think has a horrible, horrible title, um, which, would, <laughs> which, which somebody now would say, oh, we, need a, we need a catchier title. Yeah, that's not gonna fly off the shelves. <laughs> uh, happier, but I finally, I looked her up and I found, I found these amazing pictures of this woman in um, men's clothing, um, holding these giant standard dachshunds. And I have dachshunds. And so I I drew one of my dogs with her and um, it's this charming illustration. And so the illustrations are meant to be a door opener that they're fun to look at. Um, They're clever, they're catchy, but but they're, they're meant to be really accessible. And and so that you, if you find the picture interesting, then you, then you'll read about that person. And they're already like again looking at them. I'm like, oh, these, these this is an artistic flair. Like these are yeah. not portraits, right? Like these are right, right. They're they're highly stylized books. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And there's they're great. Be- like there's somewhere between a, a cartoon and a cocktail napkin. Yeah. Only with somebody that has a tremendous amount of talent. Thank you. Yeah, like, just Thank so everybody you. knows, like it's yeah. you, you out there can't do this. <laughs> uh, well, it takes it. It's it's um, it, it's just part of the artistic process of yeah. Um, an artist, a writer, anybody in the arts, everyone has to put a lot of time into into training and flexing yeah. their muscles and stretching themselves. That um, we all develop our own practices of how we how we do things. Yeah, and so. The way I made most of these images, um, I would stumble across. And the great thing about the internet or or encyclopedia, or when you're a kid and you're really fascinated by somebody, you read a book about that person, or you read a biography of them, you, you see another name of someone who was connected to that person. Then you read that, that book in the back. Yeah. Suddenly yes. you've got this whole library of people in your head. Yeah. And so... Um, the joy of, of, of the internet age is that you can you can type in someone's name, hit Google search, and you see all these photographs of that person. So then I just sit um, looking at the, at the images, I do a quick doodle um, in pencil in my sketchbook, 
and which gives me a lot of freedom and freshness and spontaneity. Sure. So they, they like I can I can get what someone looks like in less than 15 seconds. It's just a, it's so fast. Yeah. And then I then I use my iPhone, I photograph it, send it to my computer, open it up in the program I work in, which is called Illustrator, uh-huh. and I make like a sub layer that is behind everything, and then I recreate the drawing using shapes and colors and patterns and i do i create everything yeah and, and it kind of all comes together um and voila you've, you've got this terrific looking thing that hopefully is eye-catching and, and people you know will will pick it up yeah i mean it's it is again i've only seen the i've only seen the digital version of it yeah um, but it is it's striking like i imagine in the, is it in the in the printed form that 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 those things jump off the page it's it's it's, it's very colorful, but like it's like bold, solid color. It's like yeah. it is, yeah. Like it's, it's really not shy. gorgeous. It, it's not shy. It's it's yeah. It, it's playfully in your face, friendly. Here I am. Yeah, it's interesting. When I was in graduate school, and this is sort of my tangential to this, I, I learned from a guy who had been a reporter for thirty-five years, and he could sit down and write a six-hundred-word story in like five minutes, ten minutes, and we were all we were just like, how in the how do you do that? And he's like, I've been doing this for 35 years, right? Exactly. Like I, everything you have to think about is just a thought for me. And right. then the rest of it is just making that right. And that's, yeah, it takes a few seconds for you to do it, but that's a lifetime of everything that comes into that moment. Precisely. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I always tell people, you know, it's great when it looks easy. If it looks yeah. easy and it's yeah. really complicated, you're like, well, that person knows what that's, you know, there's an expertise in whatever it is they're doing, cooking, drawing, writing, you know, there's yeah. magic that you don't see. So th- I just want to ask what the sort of the last thing, because at 50, yeah, I mean, you, you, it's, that's just a small number. When you think about a history of right. anything, 50 is a small number. How much of it was personal for you guys? How much of it was like, you know what, these are, these are the six people that we want. I don't know if they fit in, but I want, who were those people for you? Oh, there were, there's definitely a lot of arm wrestling. Um, <laughs> The I have a writing partner, was, so I can imagine. Yeah, the, 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 the writer was always like pushing writers. And I thought, well, I'm letting my my visual art people down if we don't yeah. have more artists. And and the one thing that was like when I told people I was working on this project, everyone in the book um, had to have passed away. We were not including living people. Oh, interesting. Why? Yeah. Um, just that uh, it was just sort of like agreed upon from from the beginning yeah um and so uh, everyone kept saying well you have to include stephen sondheim stephen sondheim is really important i said but he's he's alive so he can't can't be in the book and as as the we were narrowing it down um he happened to pass away yeah and i said well he's got it we've got to he's got to be in the book and i actually had met him once and uh, he was a really nice, nice man. Like yeah. I didn't expect that. I expected him to be kind of aloof and not very friendly. And uh, he won a big award from the Chicago Public Library, and uh, he got the main big award. And that same night, they gave out twenty-five little awards. And the first book I illustrated that was published called "The Skin You Live In." Um, got an award from the Chicago Public Library. And oh, a friend cool. of mine said, well, you're going to meet, you're going to wind up meeting Stephen Sondheim. You need to do his portrait. 
And I was like, no, he, he doesn't want a portrait by me. He's going to look at me like I'm some crazy fan. Yeah. And a friend of mine goes, no, this is an opportunity. Don't blow it. So I, I worked that afternoon, got it printed, put it in a, in a frame. And I also at the same time was making composer note cards. So I had listened to a bunch of radio interviews and it's very easy to find out without stalking someone who are important composers to Stephen Sondheim. So mm -hmm. Gustav Mahler is one of them. And, and of course he worked with Leonard Bernstein on West Side Story. Yeah. And then I picked out six people that I, that I had read that he admired these people's music. So I gave him, so I had a bunch of these uh, cards, note cards, and then I did the portrait. And when I walked there into, into the cocktail party, which was just for the award recipients, no dates, just, yeah, he was sitting at a at a table by himself with some friends, and I asked the woman from the library, I said, "Would you introduce me to him? Because I don't, I, I don't want to sound like I'm this nutty fan who wants yeah. to give him a There's no cool way to walk up with that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> she walked over and said, "This is David Cisco, David Lee Cisco, who is was getting an award like you tonight, and uh, he he did your portrait." And he goes, "Well, let me see it." And so I, I I showed it to him, and he goes, "Sit down." And, and he goes, how long have you been doing work that looks like this? I said, kind of like from the beginning. He goes, this is really interesting. I want to know more about it. And, and so we talked for like 20 minutes. He was so kind and, and open. And um, I hate this phrase. And I love this phrase. He was kind of like a regular guy who yeah. happened to be this amazing genius of music and theater. Yeah. And um, then later, then the next day, uh, I was at some event and my phone was buzzing that I got an email. It was from him saying that he really loved it and that uh, he was going to frame the cards, but that the picture that I did of him, he liked it so much that he would take it whenever he went traveling. So it was just a nice thing that he, that he wrote me. And so I was just like, I was like, I can't believe Stephen Sondheim wrote me an email. This is right. But anyway, so when you ask what's personal, it was really yeah. personal that he be included and I mean, that's a pretty good reason yeah and, and i also thought that you know he's kind of like he, he brings mozart and shakespeare together at the same time because he's words and music yeah so he's he's the mozart of our of the contemporary theater you know he wrote about he wrote uh, musicals and, and music theater that the world just really embraces yeah um and then uh there's another um person in the book uh, Danny Sotomayor, who was a Chicago gay cartoonist who sadly died of AIDS, but he was also a very important AIDS activist and um, very much like in your face activism. We're not going away, we're here. Um, you have to pay attention to us, people are dying. And he really got under a lot of people's skin, <laughs> but he was the first sort of gay cartoonist that was national. And um, and I knew him briefly, but Owen was a very good friend of his, Owen who wrote the book. And I said, well, it's really important that we include uh, um, Danny Sotomayor. So, so uh, that was really fun to, to, to include him. Yeah. And, and I, have to, I have to think that's also, I was just, I just interviewed somebody last week who was instrumental in my career. Um, and as I was recording the intros and outros, I said, like, these are going to be bad because I care too much. Yeah. Right? Like when you are that invested in the person, it's really hard to also be creative because you're like, yeah. 
how can I honor you? How, like, how can I do all these things? Which is the yeah. worst way to create something. Right. Uh, right. But it's really hard not to. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, well, listen, you are fantastic. I appreciate you taking time uh, oh, to come my, on to my this pleasure. Little my pleasure. program. So LGBTQ icons is out now, right? It's through trope yes. books. That's the, yes. that's, that's where people should go to buy it. Yeah. Um, you, you can, you can, you can go to their website. Uh, trope.com and yeah. and also it's available on, on on amazon if you want to go that route and yeah but we like to go directly we like to go directly if yeah we can. let's go direct but also hopefully it might be in your your local bookstore by yeah eventually yeah that's great um it's fantastic i cannot wait to get my hands on this and because again just looking at the digital stuff i'm like this is exactly the kind of thing that I love having around my house um it looks fantastic and i Thanks. hope that we can chat again soon because you are we just touched on so many things that I want to have like a five-hour conversation with you. Well, I would love that. I'd love that. <laughs> well, you have a good day and we'll stay in touch and hopefully we'll get you back. Very good. Thank you. One of my favorite parts of this program is the serendipity that comes so often from talking to people. And I say it all the time. I know I said it at the top of the show, like we, the world is big, but it's also very small. And I'm sure you do not tune in and think, well, I'm going to get 10 minutes about the theater scene in Indianapolis. And yet those kinds of connections and tendrils like run through so much of what we do, um, no matter where you are, right? If you're creating stuff, you just tend to end up around these other people. And like I also said, he's delightful. I could literally could have talked to him for another five hours. Uh, editing it down was a pain in the ass. Um, so that's David Lee Sisko, LGBTQ icons is his book. Um, there's the science icons book as well. There's a whole bunch of stuff. I hope you will go get it because it's gorgeous and beautiful and also really interesting. And you've heard him tell stories like it's just the I think just a lovely, a lovely series that they're working on. Before we get out of here, same thing as always. If you like what you heard, leave us those reviews, either at Apple Podcasts or over at the Facebook page. And tell your friends about us. It don't cost nothing to listen, so, uh, you know, help us out. Throw us a bone. Tell your friends who like to read, come on over to the bunker. Don't forget to check out all the other programs on the Solid Listen Podcast Network, including the flagship Mother May I Sleep With podcast with host and our Solid Listen Podcast queen, Molly McLear. Like I told you, we got three shows here on this channel. You just listen to Jam Sessions. We also have a After Party, which is a fun, weird Q&A, and the Jam. They come out every Wednesday. Surest way not to miss anything, get yourself subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, you can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram at The Writer's Jam. Until the next time, I'll see you around the internet.
Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But wait, the excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to season one, we are thrilled to announce the launch of season two. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you. And let's make season two even more memorable together.